You're listening to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I am, as ever, your 2.4 host, J.D. Collins. Today, we're now starting the first of the two-part finale for Series 4. Can't believe how fast it's all going. We're not we're over halfway through now. Joining me today and for the next two weeks is Thomas, who we first met during the Family Plot review from a couple of weeks back. Tom, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Are you Tom or Thomas? Um, Either or, you okay. know, just pick whichever you prefer. No worries. Um, I, I know at the moment you're, you say you're on your third round of isolation at the moment. Yeah, it's quite nice to sort of go back to the 90s rather than acknowledge 2021 right now, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Watching these episodes uh, yesterday and this morning just made me realise how much innocent time the 90s was pre-2000s when everything just went to the pits but we're gonna have fun and we'll go straight into it so before we go into the review for the first part episode frenzy as ever we have andrew marshall with his memories hello again uh, i want to talk to you uh, for a little bit about our uh, 2.4 children designers uh, the original house was designed uh, by Linda Kettle at Pebble Mill, uh, where we made our pilot, and was a, a sort of a slight expansion of, of the house I was actually living in at the time, only with some of the walls knocked down. And it was specially designed to uh, have uh, many entrances and exits, and uh, people, you know, for people to come in and out, so we could we could run all the various things we wanted to run. Uh, it's a great design. Uh, over the course of the series, we had uh, several other designers. We had uh, David Buckingham, uh, who was an extraordinarily uh, talented guy. He uh, also built the extraordinarily complicated set for health and efficiency. In fact, it was so elaborate that it was quite often not built uh, until the uh, end of the day, which which severely hampered the uh, rehearsals sometimes, but it was a, it still was a great piece of work. Uh, um, uh, we also had uh, Gwen Evans, uh, who uh, designed that extraordinary staircase I mentioned earlier that I think she uh, stole from um, Morris Lapidus uh, from uh, the Miami Founder Blue Hotel that you can see in the um, Babes in the Wood episode, uh, fantasy song sequence. Uh, and we also had George Kirikides, uh who uh, did, I think, an early series and then uh, stayed with us pretty much, I think, till the end, the end of the show. Now, uh, in this coming episode, um, we have an episode where it, it culminates with the, the house burning down. Now, the reason this came about uh, was, was rather curious because uh, uh, the, the main house set, which we'd had, I think, for three or four years by this point, I think was painted a rather strange pale yellow colour. And uh, Belinda and I had had conversations about this and we both thought it was quite an unflattering colour for sort of skin tones and things. So what we... What we really wanted was to paint it a, a sort of warm, peachy colour. Uh, but we were never able to persuade the designers that it needed repainting. And so one of the reasons I decided to burn the house down was that it would have to be repainted in a lovely peach colour, which it is uh, ultimately in, uh, in, in the second episode of this uh, two-part finale. And uh, remains so for the Christmas special. But... Uh, after that, when we came back for the next series, uh, the designer decided that he didn't like the peach colour <laughs> and painted the whole thing white. So we never got our way after all in the end. But that was one of the reasons we uh, we decided to do this. Uh, this episode is called uh, Frenzy, which, as I'm sure you know, is named after yet another Alfred Hitchcock film. Uh, and uh, it has two uh, pretty... Uh, uh, iconic uh, things in it. One is the musical number Everybody uh, Needs Somebody to Love, which uh, uh, Claire sings, uh, accompanied by uh, Gary and John. Gary was a great uh, fan of the Blues Brothers, so he was really excited when we put this in and, and managed to find a way to sort of lever it into the plot. Unusually for Two Children, this song appears realistically 
in the, in, in the strand of the story and it's not not a fantasy sequence like most of the the christmas episodes are uh, and meanwhile, Bill and Rona are trapped in Rona's living room by two large cobras. Now, uh, when uh, we were coming into production on this, uh, Steve Lucas, our uh, by now well-known special effects guy, came and said uh, uh, the uh, special audio-animatronic snakes we would need would cost several thousand pounds each. And Richard got very, very worried by this. Uh, and I said, well, why can't we just have rubber ones on bits of wire instead? <laughs> and uh, he said, but the wires will show. And I said, well, we can soon get around that. We'll just make it nighttime so the wires won't show. <laughs> and so that's why it's nighttime in the scene. So the wires or the rubber snakes don't show. And I think the rubber snakes are still pretty convincing. You don't really see them do very much, but uh, uh, they still uh, do their job in, this, in, in the show. Anyway, here it is, part one of this uh, this uh, particular series is finale, Frenzy. I think this opening is probably the most 90s opening you could imagine. Absolutely. It is magnificent. You've got Ben sat there reading a magazine with the telly on, which we all did yeah. in those days. And then as soon as he hears the words frank and unrestrained language, down goes the magazine, he's paying attention. And then runs for the videos and just, oh, I don't miss videos at all. No. Like, I had nice things on video that, like, I keep a machine that I can still watch those, but I don't miss the era of, like, rushing around trying to record stuff off the television. Absolutely and not. This whole sequence is beautifully observed. You know, it is very accurate to the rows we all had with the machine at some point. Yeah, 100%, because the, the, what I do like about the continuity announcer is when they say about, you know, um, viewers are warned. I mean, that's like trigger warnings are now more things so thing today. Now we have content warning more so because of classic TV or films that are seen as not ageing well. Everything now has a content warning. Even Disney Plus has content warnings for everything, um, so that, which is quite funny. And so, yeah, Ben's looking through tapes. There's a horror thing, a suede concert. I mean, suede, very Britpop. And he's, yeah, he, he gets finds the new set of videotapes. And, and the cellophane was always a nightmare to get through. I mean, we still have the letter opener. It still lives by the television. And that is a legacy of the days of needing a knife to get into those bloody video packets. Pardon my French. Um, yeah. No, I agree, because there's a bomb from the grave where he says, I'm going out later, I'll give me an, an hour, that'll give me enough time to open these <laughs> new videotapes. Amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's the bit where he goes into the kitchen and Bill says, I don't think so, and hands him the biggest carving knife she's got. Yeah, <laughs> it was just common knowledge how difficult they were to break into. I don't think scissors would do it now. Um, it depended on the scissors. If you had very good, sharp pointed edge scissors if you had like you know the kids scissors we all used to have with blunted ends you were never getting in those videos oh yeah those those awful ones and that's the only time i feel left-handed is having to have the, the yellow and green um scissors rather than the red ones oh yeah. that brings back memories <laughs> yes <laughs> i know what you mean and so Ron, um, bill's looking at the kitchen's all built and looks very fresh it looks like the kitchen you get in a restaurant, a civic hall, a catering um, room. It, it, it doesn't look like a family kitchen anymore. It looks really professional. Yeah, and like I did notice, you know, as well as the full burner, she's also got like a hot plate, which is something you never see outside of a professional kitchen. Yeah, and, and, the, and the blue light on the top. Um, yeah, yeah, I to love kill that. Flies. It's, yeah. Very, it's a very good, um, very well put together set. And so we go to Rona and Tony, bless him, is, is, he, is he's been progressively more knackered as the series has progressed. And when we spoke about family plot, he was particularly so then. And now it's just getting ridiculous. Rona still has enough energy. She gives him compound, asks if he feels less faint. Um, she then looks at the chart when she's ovulating and there's a full moon the following day. And then she handles him a bundle of rowan twigs as they concentrate the force in earth into his groin. I mean, she's becoming into like, which medicine now <laughs> it's quite funny because she's just trying everything now 
It is all that kind of 90s new age stuff. And like she even references at one point, well, it worked for a witch on Robert Kilroy Silk. And just there was this, it was a huge thing at the time, you know, this idea that, oh, if you go back to like the Druids or whatever, suddenly everything is magic and it all works. And meanwhile, the actual thing that will produce a baby, if one is going to be produced, is the same whether or not you have a twigless baby, as Rona puts it. Healthy and a health, you know, a healthy um, reproduction. That's the thing. If you if you are able to, you are. If you're not, you're not. And then Robert Kilroy Silk is an interesting one. I, I had to Google that one. He was a, a former politician and broadcaster. He was a member of Labour, and he did the show Kilroy for 18 years, and got cancelled for quite a dodgy reason. Yeah, um, that was, he was just, there was this period of like 90s talk shows that were on and you get a lot of references to them in the sitcoms of the time because they were your daytime television. Yeah. And, you know, if they hadn't got an English one, it slipped into Ricky Lake or Jerry Springer. Or Oprah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, Oprah's been referenced before and Oprah's still a big name. I mean, everyone knows Oprah, but even Robert Kilroy think I, I had to Google that one. And so Tony won't move when he think, and he thinks he's upstairs. He's just in a complete daze. Um, and then Rona puts on some whale music. Um, and, he, you know, bless him, he's just saying, look, I don't, I just, this is getting too much. The mind is willing, but the flesh just isn't. And then Rona does her, works her charm on him saying, well, oh, it's not a pretty fate for a man after all, for a man being kept in the house by an insatiable woman, making impossible demands day and night, forcing him to have sex with her over and over. And then Tony suggests that they just do it downstairs. And I love the way the yeah. music starts to play. It's like, um, like a really cheap porno in it. <laughs> it's just really nice. It really is. And I love his line of this for a start. We see nothing with that line. We are literally looking at the exterior of the house. Everyone knows exactly what happened at that line. Oh, yeah, exactly. There's a few lines in this in the last next two episodes where I'm like, oh, yeah, an adult audience knows exactly what, what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, at the end of the day, Tony clearly has an impressive recovery rate, as all I can say. He's, yeah. he's, he's part of the job, as it were. It's either his body's working or it's Rona who just has, a, has an effect on men. I think it's probably a bit of both. Bit of both, yeah. That's, I'm thinking the same. There's so many wonderful references in these episodes to Rona's sort of active sex life. And it's just, it's really nice to see, actually, because she's not, like, not down for it so much. It's just, oh, that's just Rona. Yeah. Which and at the and time is quite progressive. It really is. I mean, you had before then, around the same time, you had, like, Blanche and Golden Girls, Dorian Green. This is sort of pre-sex in the city. And so I think there was definitely, in the 90s was a time when things were, you know, sexuality and, and women's sexuality was becoming more um, accepted, certainly on TV and more more portrayed with more depth. And Bill's making lemon meringue pies and David walks in wearing shoulder pads, uh, mentions that nothing will get a mark on the surface, it's not even blood. So you know that he's already been trying stuff on there. And when she says, what's you been cutting up? He says, nothing much. And again, these details I really love. The detail of the two sinks with the taps, one's for hands and one's for food. Just those, you know, they, they, they really, really feel like this is a professional built kitchen for clean cooking. Yeah, you know that they definitely had, you know, somebody come in and check that actually this would meet the regulations. Yeah. And at this time you could still have a professional kitchen in a private house. Now, I think the rules have changed slightly. Um, but certainly, Bill would have passed every regulation in place at the time. Yeah, it's it's definitely changed now. It's more health and uh, health um, regulations are probably stricter now. But even then, I think Bill's pretty... Well, she's proven here, you know, she just keeps wiping over anything that's been touched upon. Um, and then but he mentions that... Um, Ben used put something on the service as well and then when she realized when David said nothing much she just warns him you're not to conduct any of your weird experiments or cut up anything excuse me on this work surface and Dave's like what about dad not even him <laughs> you know she still has she still hasn't lost her um her wit and charm no, she's still being funny you know even as she is now 
dressed in sort of professional chef's clothing, even down to she's wearing an industrial hairnet. Yeah, amazing. You know, like the one she wore on the yeah, airplane meals place. Mm, yeah. It is beautifully observed. And at the same time, you have, you know, the reality of trying to have a professional kitchen that's also in your house impossible because you've got ben asking is there anything anything chance any chance of anything hot and warm warm or hot you're just like she's working she, you go you go in and make your own cup of tea because i think there's enough space to him to go in and do a, make a cup of tea if he's just oh, sort of out, the, out the way but he's still a demanding man at heart and i do love her line about yes there's something warm and hot if you take a trip to the edge of mount etna um yeah but you do notice that with the sequence where she's making tea, she's literally put it all on a tray and then carries it out for them to do. So maybe they have been slightly banned from the kitchen. That's true. Yeah, it could be that she says, look, if you don't go in, I'll make you cups of tea. Because um, I think she's quite fair, Bill. She, 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 she will recognise that she's taking over, but know that they need something to eat or drink occasionally. Yeah, and, you know... It's that balance you've got to try and make in that situation between the fact this is your work environment and the fact you're still in the house. And there's something we're all very familiar with after the last however many months. Very true. Yes. It's all compromise. That's the the, that's the worst C word of all compromise, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's another debate for another day. And so she's playing with a faulty wire. So that just puts the little little foreshadow for what's coming next. And then another nice bit of... um, detail here david goes into the living room and mentions to ben that um he's actually recording channel news channel four news and then when ben switches over to the video channel um (laughs) it is channel four news but you can hear them saying the institute of tropical and then this it kind of goes off a little bit and says oh two specimens yeah and so we know so that's that's a little bit it's always some foreshadowing in this show it never just comes out of nowhere this is it. And when you're watching, you do realise there is a lot of references to that kettle. And this is one of those things that I think you can forget now. But like for a long time, it was quite normal. Electrical appliances would be sold without plugs. And you'd have to fit them yourself. And thus, this was an extremely common source of fires. Yeah. I mean, it would it had been banned when I was a teenager, I remember. But they still insisted that you learn how to wire a plug on the school curriculum which has been brought in because of all these fires. Yeah, it just goes to show it, it's a, a different world now. Because I used to volunteer at a charity shop and we ever had, if we had electricity or appliance come in, there would be a guy who'd come in once a week to test everything before we sold it, just because mm. you need to make sure it's not going to just blow up on anybody. It's, it's, it's so easy to make. It's, it's easy to do. Jenny walks into the kitchen, asks if Bill has a minute, but she's too busy. Kai's picking up for a dress rehearsal, but Bill's frantic. And, you know, it's been made clear that Jenny's doing a song for something. And Bill's work seems more important to her now and suggests that Jenny talks it over with Ben. As she may be surprised how understanding he is. And at that moment, he goes, you git, I'm pulling you out your plug, sunshine. And it's just a great bit of him arguing with the telly because at this point, the VHS tape is ejected, which is yeah. always like, you just know that's it then, it's cut off. This is it. The video machine has clearly won this battle and any of us that ever fought a video machine because we were trying to record something, this this is deeply familiar. <laughs> and yeah. Just that point where you just start screaming at an inanimate object because it has me- messed you up so much. Yeah. I think we've all had the moment of being Ben and most of us have probably had the Jenny moment of walking and going, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving. Yeah, clearly this is not the time to have a serious in-depth emotional talk with my father. No, exactly. And then Ben asks Ben if I have the tea, Bill wonders where Rona is. And I love the bit where you go back to the exterior of Rona's house when yeah. all you hear is this whale music on a kind of, I think it's probably got caught. caught and it just goes, oh, 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 oh. and it just, it just, it sounds dodgy. It sounds like a woman screaming, but not oh, in, an, yeah. in, not in pain, shall we say. It 100% would pass the Mary Whitehouse test, but at the same time, you're very conscious that it is blindingly obvious what is going on if you have even the slightest clue of these things. Yeah, exactly. And it's make of that what you will moment. 
Clive arrives and Ben, I like the way Ben's quite laddy with him, just sort of like, hey, hey boy, you know, he's trying to be the cool parent, even though later on with Keith, Ben's a lot more growly and, and, and not so pleasant with him. I think Ben preferred Clive. I think Clive is the better boyfriend, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Um, you know, he's nicer. They've met his parents. There's kind, it kind of feels a bit more of a long-term relationship. Yeah. It, it, I think he's got, he's gotten um, sort of comfortable with him now. And, and Clive's quite respectful, I think, which is quite, mm. it, 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 it gives him comfort. Um, Bill asks when Ben will fix the wire again. It just keeps going back to this faulty wire. Jenny walks down wearing a push-up bra, and it's just—it's just so like. <laughs> I thought it was one at first as well, and then later on, you notice that she takes stuffing out. So she's not even gone out and bought one. This is a last-minute panic, and she's grabbed the box of tissues and yeah. stuffed them down her top. And you know, it's one of those things that there's lots of teenage girls that do that kind of thing at some point. And you could see Ben is going, there's something wrong here. I'm a man. I can't talk about this with my daughter. No way on earth. It's the way he's sort of like unable to speak to her and, and, and totally at a loss for what to say. And then Charlene walks in another girl in the show and Ben sort of shakes her hand very awkwardly. And, and, and Charlene's a lot more, She's dressed a lot more kind of, say, provocatively, I'd say. Jenny's a bit more grown up looking, I'd say. Jenny is sensibly dressed. Charlene could stand on a street corner. Um, Your words, not mine, Thomas. (laughs) The thing is, though, that is definitely what we are meant to think. Charlene is clearly that girl at school. I'm sure we all remember that girl at school. Yeah, she's going to, let's put it like, she's, she's doing an impression of Madonna. So she's going to be, mm. and if and if, if you think of Madonna at that time, Madonna was shocking. I mean, she's shocking now for all the rock, for, for, for the not great reasons, should we say. Um, I'm all for people growing old as disgracefully as you want, but yeah. <laughs> Madonna's another story altogether at the moment. Yeah, I mean, like a virgin, it was kind of like the slut anthem at the time. I'm not sure what the modern song is because I haven't been clubbing in like a year and a half but you know it definitely had that kind of vibe of anyone that knew every single word to that song yeah Yeah. a certain type of person yeah it's a it's a tune though it's an absolute tune and so Ben Bill enters with a tray of tea and they've all the, the three of them have gone Ben asks Bill something technical you know how to make small breasts bigger and, you know, Bill just says, you know, I told you before, Ben, Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't natural. You're fine as you are. And then she mentions a wonder bra. And it's amazing what she does. She, well, she explains, they take what you've got, push up and squeeze it to the top. And then when he's on not getting it, she just uses the leftover pastry and literally just puts it together and pushes it up and describes, well, you start with this and then you'll end up with that. See, and it's just a wonderful use of visual humour. Yeah, and there is just the brilliant bit where Ben looks at it and goes, they weren't like that. Yeah. You know, that's... And again, at that time, you know, I can remember seeing, like, in Marks and Spencers, you would see men do, like, this loop to avoid going anywhere near the ladies' underwear section. It was still expected as society that men do not look at that sort of thing in public. Well, and then the priest and Father Ted Christmas special just find themselves there... (laughs) Yes. Um, and there is a Victoria Wood joke about men going to buy lingerie for their wives and going, I'll take that. It's a fire extinguisher. Never mind, just wrap it up. Yes. Yeah. They just don't want to know. I remember that one. I love that. And so Bill can't do any more without Rona. And then Ben mentions that something is up with Jenny and Bill says he should talk. He should talk to her. So Bill enters the, here's the sound of the wailing and she enters the house and, and I thought she's going to find Rona and Tony doing it on the sofa. And then she walks in and Rona is stood on the shelf, on the side of the shelf, ducked to the side and then points very slowly to the centre. And the way Bill just turns and her eyes widen, she goes, oh, my God. Bear in mind, in the previous episode, Rear Window Scoop, we thought that Tony had been murdered. 
and the way he looks, it does make us think maybe he has been, he's just been sexed to death, frankly. <laughs> I mean, there's worse ways to go, but mm. certainly, you know, it's the first of several cliffhangers we get because you just have this moment of, oh my word, they're going to cut to whatever this awful thing is. And we don't. No, we go to David handing Ben and harmonica. Says it was in his sock drawer, which is just like, ugh. <laughs> Especially David, because he just he wears clothes for eternity. Yeah, I mean, we get that line in the next episode where Bill says that the thought of David's underwear after a second day on is worse than anything in the house. Yes, you know he's he's very um, yeah he's he's a t- he's a dirt he's a very poor hygiene teenage boy. Ben starts playing it's out of tune. Jenny walks in, slams the door, asks where Bill is says she only cares about the cater visits and runs upstairs. David runs upstairs and Ben tells him to tell Jenny that Bill's coming over. Begins to dial the phone. We go back to Rona's living room. The phone rings and we see that there is a python, an actual python, surrounding the phone. Now, I'm 90% sure it's actually a cobra. It's a cobra, <laughs> it is, yeah. I thought they were the same um, thing. I say cobra and, and python's but- the same. I'm not David Attenborough. No, cobras bite, pythons constrict. This much I know. And it's like a winged cobra with the like flat bit at the back of its head. I don't know why I know this, but it's... I, I probably looked it up after this episode being like, what the hell kind of snake is that? I yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful visual you just have. One snake is on the ringing phone and the other is on the stereo. And you're just like, well... Where's that come from? You just think, where's that come from? You know, and it reminds me a lot of, um, you've ever seen Aladdin, Jafar's staff, which kind of hypnotises people. And the way he turns obviously into a giant snake. And that's probably a cobra because of the the, the way his uh, ears and wings, uh, whatchamacallit. Yeah, the, 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 the ears and the way it surrounds his head. God, it is genuinely so funny. You just don't. You just think, where has this come from? It's so out of the so out of the ordinary and left field. So t- she, Rona mentions that Tony's asleep upstairs and nothing's going to make wake him. And Bill asks, where did they come from? Rona has a really great sarcastic response: Pizza Hut, a medium deep fan, regular diet Coke, and two poisonous reptiles of your choice for four ninety five. I mean, four ninety five. I mean, that's a good amount of stuff. And Pizza Express, that's back. I'd be happy with that now. I mean, yeah, that's a gentle reminder that there's been so much inflation since then. But it's only 30 years now. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, you can almost hear her literally quoting an advert she'd seen 20 minutes earlier. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But do you know what? I, I have to say, um, when you look very closely at the top of the heads of the, of the cobras, they are obviously strings. You can see it very. I mean, to be fair, it's faint. It's like, have you ever watched? Did you ever watch? Have you ever seen the sixties sitcom Bewitched? Yes. And you know that the, there's things moving around, and, it, and you know, and, and it's all floating around, and you can see very clearly it's strings, but it's still faint. And it's the same thing here. It's not dreadful. It looks very real, and the, and the look of the cobras is very real. Mm, but also, don't forget, we were watching this on nineties TVs. Yes, you know, you true. could get away with more. Because they were a much lower resolution television than that's true. The super high def that is now in just about every home in the country. Absolutely, and quite a dull set as well. I mean, it's meant to be the nighttime, and it, and there's no light in the room as well. Bill suggests moving slowly towards the door, and as she does, they begin to hiss, and she's like, "No, I don't think they like that." Her legs are going dead. Yeah, not good. Yeah, it's. It's this very awkward moment where you're just like, yeah, I've got no idea how she's getting out of this. No. Waiting for the flying mongoose, as she says. <laughs> and then you have Rona's brilliant thought, how long do snakes live? <laughs> uh, you know, she's not, I said, and Bill's just like, well, I'm not David Attenborough, still a relevant name. And Rona says, they must live longer than, we must live longer than snakes. And Bill's just like, are you suggesting that we just stay here until they drop dead? She's just like, oh my God, you're not going down that path, Rona. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, that is definitely a plan that would work if they could live that long. Yeah, I mean, without food, it'd be great. But 
look, more than anything, it's like Bill's legs is going dead. And as they, as mm. she's kind of moving, they're just going, it's really quite hideous. It is a very scary moment, and neither of them is actually in a comfortable position. Bill is kind of crouching, and Rona is clinging to the wall unit and sort of half bent double. It's a wonderful. You can tell visual. she's jumped there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful visual because literally they are. You just what look at it, and it's like these two pythons, two women, just in the most uncomfortable positions, and and pythons surrounding them, and you just cobras sorry um i'm 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 not i'm really not good with nature stuff Uh, but snakes are the thing about snakes are horrible i mean if you ever watch indiana jones he always says i hate snakes people just don't they are horrifying creatures and it and and then when bill remembers where she heard them the institute of tropical medicine going back to ben realizing that channel 4 news had been recorded the reporter says a spokesperson for the institute of and there's a bit of muffled sound because of the audience laughing and then he says about how the two specimens were able to break free so again there's a planting much earlier it's not like these snakes just come out of nowhere now that's not something i think you can recognize for notice first time watching this but when you watch it again you realize wow that's very clever yeah and also that is a actual thing that does exist you know there is an institute of tropical medicine that part of their work is you capture the snakes, you harvest their venom, and then you make anti-venom from the venom. So, you know, there probably are a load of cobras sitting somewhere in a scientific laboratory in London producing cures for the bites of these snakes, which also means that, nope, they're not somebody's pet that's been defanged. These have got the venom. These are horribly dangerous. Yeah. Which is not a great thought to have if you're in the position Bill's in at that exact moment. Absolutely not. And and the, her, her her theory that they must have heard the Indian jungle's noises were charmed by it and they think they've gone home. It's just like, it's it really is a, a very um, amusing idea. So Rona then suggests playing some music on the stereo, grabs the remote very slowly to change from the tape to CD, another a stereo which has a tape and a CD function, which is brilliant. And the first thing that comes on is Combine Harvester, which is such a tune. It's it's terrible, but it's so catchy. And you just literally are thinking, that ain't going to do anything. It's the comment of, what is this CD? 70s Gold, Volume 17. And then Bill just goes, well, if it doesn't work, death's not going to seem so unwelcome. Because <laughs> Bi- like, R- Rona, yeah. not Rona, Bill has very, um, what's the word? She's got real... When she likes something, she really likes something. Music, TV, shows. But when she hates something, she's just like, that's terrible. Because this is the time when the 70s was having a bit of a a nostalgia resurgence. So these kind of songs were popular. And they still are today. That's what's so amusing about them. They're still very enjoyable. I mean, it's her young music, essentially. That's why they're both listening to it, because they were both mucking about when that was on Top of the Pops, as is referenced. Yes. Later, Absolutely. And then Jenny back at the house says to Bill, and he, she's not doing the show. She doesn't want to look a complete dork in front of the school. Ben sort of says, well, that's just a family, a poor family tradition. Um, ben doesn't says, I don't know what a wonder bra is. And as you say, Jenny takes the, um, the, the tissues out. And I love this next bit. A, mo- a very tender conversation between Ben and Jenny. And I've always thought that there were three times throughout the whole series when Ben has a really kind of frank conversation with the children he has the 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 sex talk with david in series one this is the one he does with jenny and then later one with declan about family but what i love is it never goes into mushy sentimentality there's still the humor and it and it and it resonates you know she's lost her confidence because she's going up against charlene who she mentions having a big bust and you know she says who would want to look at mount kill mountains when they can marvel at the himalayas which is just a great little analogy and ben wants to give her advice which jenny palms him off to saying you know how will you understand saying you're a man and so he descends into the conversation about his insecurities about a a boy called christopher tuck who was at school he's captain of the football team and the rugby team and said you know anything that would involve wearing shorts and without basically going into graphic description we know he's hung basically yeah and saying you know the re mistress would faint when seeing him in swimming trunks (laughs) 
that's what I love. This whole conversation is extremely explicit, mm. but at the same time, there is no explicit language use. It's very cleverly written yeah. so that it would pass a censor, but at the same time, everybody knows exactly what they're talking about. And I think it does kind of actually tap into the fact that certain teenage angst is just eternal. Yes. You know, it's every still generation. Yeah. And, you know, girls go through it with their breasts, boys go through it with the size of another appendage. And, you know, twas ever thus, always will be world without end, amen, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And also the references to school showers. Have they been banned yet? Because... Um, there was always something very dodgy about school showers. I remember, I mean, I haven't done a PE lesson in about 10 years and we never showered. We were never, we were never told to shower. Let's put it like that. I think we know, because I think it, de- I think it depends on if you, if you're um, into sport. So if you, if you do a sport and you, you, know, you do, especially something like rugby, which is quite aggressive and it can get muddy and stuff, then you would have to shower. But we never really did anything to the point where you needed to have a shower. Oh my God, I'd have hated that. That would have been so. I mean, yeah, it's dodgy because you think of what the, the, the exposure to sometimes very people with not very good um, morals, should we say, and then also just just being in a, in a in that kind of environment as a teenager, it's very awkward. And and yeah, I, I don't know if it's been banned, but I don't think it was something that we would did very much. I mean, certainly when I was at school, the teachers would still try and make you, but we were rebellious at my school and would refuse. Fair enough. Um, Good for you. But like the school had been built, you know, a decade. Well, no, most of the school hadn't, but certainly the changing rooms had been built just that bit before. Right. And that was the era still of communal showers. And it's just like, nope, no, this is not okay. And, you know, I mean, you remember what it was like when we were that age. So many size jokes, so and so's got a tiny rod, etc. It was absolute standard playground fodder. And it always, I think, probably will be. Yeah. And, and you know, we talk a lot about about um, body image for girls and actually for boys now. Um, in, in the last few years, I've noticed the conversation has broadened to both the genders and sexes. And it's interesting because, you know, this is from 1994 and this kind of conversation would seem quite progressive now. But for some conversation in, in 94, this is really really pleasant and and gary olsen and, and claire bookfield really it's very tender tenderly it's tenderly written and tenderly performed and when he builds a confidence to say you know he eventually um saw the woman that he he married and they divorced after two weeks of marriage because he was hopeless in bed and only cared about himself it's 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 this idea which i've actually heard from people i know that sometimes people who are very aware of their looks are actually very selfish when it comes to performing in, in, in sex. Yeah, and a lot does come down to technique. That's not just your other half saying it to make you feel better. There is such a thing as nice equipment, pity about the person using it. Yeah, so I think it, it gives it makes Jenny realise just the very nature of that, you know, it's not about appearance, about who you are. And then, but then as, as with ever, this show, there's always a, a good little gag around the corner when Ben says, but now I've got a lock in my trousers, I have it both ways. <laughs> and Jenny's not disturbed by that, which I find funny. I think she just finds it funny because it's probably not true, but she laughs at it. I mean, it's one of those things. It's what you would expect a man to say. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah, because you know, all men say that sort of thing unless they've heard the words it's too big, then they tend not to mention it. Um Yeah, that's it. And but, so yeah. And so I, I again love this moment. And then <laughs> another bit that's a bit of a dodgy line is when she um David comes in and and, and, and Jenny mentions that Charlene was doing her Madonna and he says the entire front road will explode. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, also that is the sort of thing teenagers say. Oh, it is. That is the thing, thing about this whole f- bit, it's very well observed, and you definitely get some people saying you can't say that, and it's like that is literally what we all said at school. Exactly, and and, and let's be honest, he might mean their brains will explode. Well, quite yes. Yeah, and some people might misinterpret what he's saying, and then 
he hands Ben a CD that was to be his birthday present, and then we know that that's going to be um, something that they're going to use for the performance. We go back to Rona's living room, and Kung Fu Fighting is playing now, and then they try the next song, which is Papa Joe by The Sweet, and Bill's just, like, totally unimpressed. And the next one is Procol Harum, Conquistator. I love Procol Harum very, very much. And that's when Bill kind of has a Proustian moment and says that it was on top of the pops the night they moved in, which I checked was 1972. So they've been there at the house since 72. Um, And that's a great, it's always the thing about music. You hear certain songs and it does transport you back to a certain period of time. Um, And, you know, she remembers Rona coming over with a cup of tea and thought it was really nice of her. But then she remembers the removal when we were wearing little vests. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then Bill says it was before they were knocked through and ran his ditto. <laughs> yeah. And the other little joke with that is, of course, the fact that Bill is referencing the fact she's had the front room and the back living room knocked through. Yeah. Whereas at Rona's, we can see quite plainly she hasn't had that done yeah. because they are both in the front room. Yes, that's and true. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy so, to think that they had that back then. It was it was one of those things a lot of people did, you know, in particularly when open plan was becoming fashionable and most of the housing stock was not built for that. So knocking through, it was one of those things that was very, very common in the era when the porters would have been doing up their house in the way yeah. that you often do when you're married. And it is it all kind of ties in very neatly. It is very of its era. You know, you would have remembered what was on top of the pops that night because well, I, that yeah. was a thing in those days. Yeah, and to be honest, even for me, I mean, 2006 is when it ended, but I remember vividly watching Top of the Pops every week for years. Uh, I remember certain songs from that time, and you know, it was a it was a big deal until probably the couple of years before it finished. So. You know, it just goes to show how much changes and, and even in the 90s, it's still a big thing. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing that killed Top of the Pops was when you could just get music whenever you wanted. Yeah. And it was not so much the CD. It lived on through the era of the CD, but it was when we all started downloading files. Yeah. And you could get a daily updated chart. It was like, well, why am I waiting a whole week to see what's number one when I can push a button and there it is and yeah that's it that kind of did for it before all the hideous stuff came out later and at least it's on at Christmas now because there's nothing like like, I say live music they still they still mine but sometimes they are they're they're, they're live and Bill sort of has this moment where she realizes that she's been caught up with the house and, and and the kitchen and the business that she's just kind of forgotten the reason that they had that house was to build a, a family um and then she says now it's been converted into a cottage industry and yeah. you know that is it's exactly what's happened and there is definitely the part of you that sympathizes with why bill has done this but you also sympathize with the part of her that feels a bit sad about it yeah because i think she's realizing that um it's that balance of of when you have children and you want a career and, and how much you can commit to both as much as to each other or sometimes one has to take pre- precedence over another. Um, and, then, and then Rona says she doesn't even care if she has the baby now. Um, as she kind of went on, she realises that when it stopped, he would want to leave. And actually now we realise that they are actually um, falling in love. And, and I remember you saying in Family Plot that there's the bit when he, he gives her a kiss or she gives him a kiss at one point in the kitchen, but it's not like a, it's a lover's kiss. It's, it's a, it's a comfortable peck. Yeah. Rona sums it up beautifully here when she says there was never any pressure to make a relationship. So it just happened. And that's what and I that like about exactly it. what's happened. Yeah. I think the idea of her being a single mother and just have a sperm donor is a really progressive idea. Because she hasn't had the baby, she will obviously be back on her own. But then because she's naturally found someone and they click and they have a good time and, you know, they get on very well, then she's got something out of it. Even though it's not what she wanted, she's got something maybe she needed out of it. Yeah. And 
you know, at the end of the day, quite often couples do form out of situations where it wasn't originally intended they would become couples, but because there wasn't that pressure, you know, you were just yourselves around each other. And then you were like, oh, actually, I'm quite comfortable with this person. And then it all just kind of happens. And Rona being Rona, obviously, the backdrop of that is wearing Tony out. But at the same time, for her, that is the most comfortable and relaxed she is. Exactly. And I think that's been the nice thing to see out of this whole experience. And nice to see that she can settle down with someone. Just the right, it's just the person. And so we hear that the car's driven off and Bill's assured that sure that she switched everything off in the kitchen. So we go to the school hall and um, <laughs> Charlene's doing her impression of Madonna, singing like a virgin. And and, and it's interesting when you see the, the people in the audience, you've got a group of lads who are kind of all staring and, and gawking at her. Then you see all the teachers just looking very stunned and disapproving. It's, it's, it's a bit like... Um, how a lot of parents will have felt about singers like Madonna back then, you know, saying, oh, no, this is this is not, the children should not be seeing things like this. Yeah, and you kind of have that weird juxtaposition of what it is like being a teenager, because you've got, there's clearly a Wizard of Oz act that's going to come on, because yes. you see the Scarecrow and Dorothy in the audience. Because, you know, part of you as a teenager is still a kid, and yes. part of you as an adult, and the adult part of you is what Charlene is embracing, with you know she's gone all out for the madonna look and she is wearing you know the pointing bosom cover yeah as part of her outfit and it is you know it's one of those things where if you were her parents you would be furious or one would hope they would be furious yeah it's like how dare you go out in that but at the same time it's the sort of thing that kids are always trying to get away with at that age yeah, absolutely. It's um so so rebellious, and yet you've got a teacher who's dressed as Gary Glitter. Is... is he Gary Glitter? I thought he was Elvis. <laughs> I think he's Gary Glitter. I think. Yes, I'm sure he's Gary Glitter. I might be wrong. I mean, I I could be wrong. I'm not gonna lie. It's one of those things. There's it's interesting the level of references you get there because you also spot Carmen Miranda at the back. Oh, really? You know, Brute Hat, which is a much older reference. So yeah. it's kind of interesting the mixture of eras. But then, of course, this was the era where you watch what was on the television. You couldn't pick and choose as much. True. I mean, and, no, you go. On. Yeah, you, you have the drama teacher telling them off and comparing it to the Royal Shakespeare Company. It's just like, yeah, this is every school drama teacher, isn't it? Oh, 100%. It's, it's, it's the way he said, and when Clive says, you know, can we have a, another minute? He says, I've told you, this is the final dress rehearsal. You don't get someone to say, please, may I go to the toilet in the middle of a Royal Shakespeare Company production? This is no exception. It's just like, it's like the primary school teachers who get so uppity about the nativity. It's like, come on. <laughs> They're not actors, kids, unless they want to be. No, and it's one of those things, you know, school plays, that kind of thing. It does always bring out in the adults that are working with it, the frustrated producer or thespian or whatever. Absolutely. The sort of person that will become like a drama teacher is often somebody that wanted to be an actor and failed. That is just the way of it. Yeah, 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 it can can be that way, can't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a lottery in it. If you if you make it or not, but I think but we need drama teachers as well. They are amazing, and they 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 oh, they, need, they need to we need teachers who train. That's how I always see it. And in the same way that you know a music teacher at school is often somebody who had a music career and that's finished mm. or never started, and now they teach music. Mm. And you know it's just there are certain subjects where the path to teaching that is quite often, yeah you've had to go at making it your career and whether or not it worked out or not for a while, it's not worked out forever. You know, I mean, how many athletes become PE teachers later on? True. That's very true. It's, um, it's one of those where I I have a lot of respect for teachers and stuff, but it's, it depends, depends on how, what you want to achieve. That's the thing. If if you want to be a teacher and you want to be a teacher of, of creative or academic academia, rather than go into a certain field, that's great. But if it's something you 
wanted to go into a field of, but you then had to become a teacher because it didn't quite work out. It's disappointing, but for them, but at the same time, they'll be inspiring students and they'll, you know, it's just what they were meant to do. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's just so, life's just so unpredictable, isn't it? Yeah, you can tell the teachers for whom it's a vocation and the ones for whom it is what they're doing because they couldn't do anything else. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and especially in, in um, university academia. academia and lecturers, that's the word. My brain just went, fuck there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell the ones that were like, I'd, I'd rather be I'd rather be doing my, my thing rather than teach you all. Lovely. So the music comes on and the curtains begin open and the Chevrolet was on stage and how the hell they have got into that, that into that into the school well i assume that this because it does look like a school hall that's got quite a decent stage set up yeah. so i'm guessing there's like a roller door at the side which yes. is like a fairly common thing in theaters for moving big props and big bits of scenery and stuff yeah so clearly they've somehow persuaded them that yeah we can just bring the car in yeah because you know this wasn't bought as a prop. This is just their car. Yes, that's the thing. And it works for this setup. So they appear on stage and we see Ben and David are dressed as the Blues Brothers. And then Jenny is dressed in a black dress and her hair's done up. And they perform a rendition of Everybody Needs Somebody to Love from the Blues Brothers. And it's so brilliant, this. this. I mean, Claire Buckfield has a prolific career in musical theatre and, and she really gets to showcase her talents. Her voice is amazing, the way she moves is amazing and the way that the two of them are like the backing dancers and the times they, they're together moving and they're in sync and then she'll join them and they're all in sync. And it's just a really fun number and it's just it's become a very iconic scene. People remember the Blues Brothers moment in 2.4 Children more than the movie probably <laughs> yeah and it is it's one of those things that they've played it just right yeah you know there's a little bit of the silliness in there because it's not meant to be a professional act it's meant to be dad and brother are helping out the daughter because she needed help and they have scratched this together in a couple of minutes yeah Jenny's costume change in that context is the most impressive Given that she's had her hair done like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it is beautifully done. It's very funny. How close it is to the film, I'm not sure, but it definitely feels like they're spoofing the film. Um, What I did think about it was that this is basically a showstopper number in the rehearsal. Yeah. You notice it literally stops everything else. Everyone is paying attention, joining in, dancing around. They have a very good smoke machine, that school as well. Yes. And, you know, it's, you think that was just the rehearsal. The main performance was probably more of a thing. A hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that, that I, know, I found out is that Gary Olsen, Claire Butfield, and John Picard actually performed this on the 1994 Children in Need. Oh, that's quite sweet. And it's, um, I've seen the video, it's not available to watch now, but I have seen it a while ago. And it, it you know, it's as fun and, and energetic, and it, they're doing it obviously. But the, back then, children, he must have got like, you get a lot of ratings now. Back then, they've got like 12 million. And so it clearly shows how popular the, sh- the 2.4 children was, but also that particular scene for them to come on and do it on a live charity broadcast. I think something else I noticed with this scene is um, Gary Olsen had, did have um, some work in, in musical theatre. I think he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he's a really good mover in this. And, he, you know, and, and I was wondering, the next series is when they find David is interested in performing and doing drama. And Ben's obviously a little bit dismissive, but there's moments throughout the series where Ben suggests that he's a bit of a closeted performer. And maybe that's where David gets it from. And maybe this is the moment David realised, oh, actually, I want to do this. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Ben is that whatever he wanted to do in life probably wasn't where he ended up, but he's making the best of it, as one does if you're a good father. Yeah, You make sure there's food on the table, you get everything done. But at the same time, if you can ever indulge, you know, that old dream of yours, because let's face it, they went into this very quickly. They did not need persuading. No, absolutely they were not. all willing to go along with this idea. Absolutely. And we do actually see, learn a bit more about Ben's 
questioning of life and what he might want to do in the sixth series so what you mentioned there it, it, every i think what i like about this scene it feels like it, it's a nice sort of break it's a musical number it's fun it's entertaining, but it feels real to the characters and to where it goes next yeah that's it it is a moment of just absolute fun and it's cheerful it's pleasant and in an episode where actually there's some quite severe moments this is kind of the payoff for a lot of that yes because it all built up to just an absolutely hilarious moment definitely and so we go back to the the living room, Rona's living room, and this time they tried putting the arches on the radio, which I love the theme to the arches. I think I think it's such a fantastic piece of music, um, and it's a the great theme, bit. Can't say the theme tune to the arches is often a lot more cheerful than the rest of the arches, particularly at this time. The arches was kind of infamous for being like the most dull thing on Radio Four, which was the dull show anyway. Yeah, and you just get Bill's beautiful line of well, if that hasn't sent them into a coma, nothing will. Yeah, It's just like everybody that didn't like the Archers felt like that about the Archers at the time. It's been spiced up a bit more now. They've had a murder and things, you know, that back in the day would never have happened in the Archers. A bit like Emmerdale Farm before it became Emmerdale when the, the, cra- the plane crash happened. It's amazing how these soaps, the history and how they develop. And so they, they give up eventually and, and Rona says, well, you know, it's giving us time to stop and think. And Bill just has that amazing comeback of, yes, we must get trapped by escaped reptiles regularly. Bill smells smoke um, and she hears a fire engine in the distance. And the way she goes, oh, God, no. And then just the way she just gets two plant pots. I think it's one One of them's a plant. I think one's a bucket, maybe. I think it's the bin you know the living room bin, bin. Yeah, yeah and she throws what that over the snake and then grabs the wicker thing that the potter plant palm is in which is a very 90s thing yeah. and throws it over the other because it's mentioned throughout this episode that the windows open oh yeah at Rona's. yeah and of course that is how they smell the smoke because otherwise they wouldn't have noticed no that's very you know, true it's how the snakes got in it's it is um, one of those things that is reference throughout that nobody has thought to shut this window at any point oh no i'd so like kind of get yeah the feeling it's like a hot summer's day yeah i know what you mean it's um you think rona would have at least turned it off switched shut it when her and tony got on but sometimes people just don't think nope. no thinking there and probably the neighbors have all heard it before and so yeah joe bill covers the snakes looks outside and there's a reflection of, which is clearly flames, a flicker of orange light. The, the, the shot pot freezes and then there's a to be continued caption and that ends the episode. I mean, it's a yeah, wonderful and, episode. Oh, absolutely. And I remember the first time I saw this, it was on in the afternoons after school on like gold. And I remember watching this episode and then being like, Oh, wait, I've got to wait till tomorrow for the next one. That's not fair. It's like, I, you know, it was a really good cliffhanger because it genuinely makes you want to see the next episode. And to be honest, at the time, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I love a lot of 90s comedy. There aren't many comedies from that time or British comedies now that have um, two parters. It's not very common. I can't think of many others that do that. It's, it's, it was more of an American thing. Yeah, and it's quite a bold thing to do because, of course, you have to be—you have to trust your audience will put up with a cliffhanger for a week. Yeah, it goes to show. But I think, as any as with any cliffhanger, even in, in a drama, if what they've watched is compelling and enjoyable, they will watch the next episode. And especially with the show now, it's the fourth series, and at this point, the ratings were really high. They—they'd gone up massively people have clearly got to know the characters and fell in love with them and were invested in finding out. It is one of those things where they knew they could take that risk and it paid off. And the thing is, it still pays off. Oh, it does. It is still a compelling moment because you're going, what's happened? Because there is that moment where you don't know no. what's on fire. No, that's the thing. It's, it's a very, um, you know, it will obviously be, the house because opposite them but you don't quite know how bad it is could it be flames coming out of the windows it's wonderful 
yeah, it's they end it at just the right moment. It is very neatly done. So we are obviously reviewing it as a two-parter, um, but on, on as its own episode, because really it's up until the end that it becomes, it sort of leads into the next episode. How many stars would you give this one? I think this has got to be like a four and a half to five one, because I think it has some of the best lines of any of the episodes. You know, it's one of the best scripted, in my opinion. Yeah. So... And also just so many of those moments, you know, like the cuts between what Ben and the kids are doing versus Bill and Rona. Every single one of those cuts is played for a laugh. Yeah. And every time it works. 100%. I, I give it a vibe. I think this is a really solid classic episode with some brilliant moments. And it actually ends very well. And I'm looking forward to speaking about the next one. So thank you, Thomas. So you're gonna, We're going to be... Right now, we're going to be recording the next episode. For our listeners, thank you very much for listening. We will return next week for You Only Live Twice. And if you've got any faulty wires, I suggest you just get it sorted straight away. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and speak to you next week. Mm -hmm.